Testament. Just hold the whole thing open, and we're going to get there as the day goes along. Welcome again, everyone. Uh, we are looking at the power of the cross. Now, I know for those of you who've been in church for more than a couple years, that <clears throat> we start to talk about the cross, and if you're not careful, you start to zone out just a little bit. Not because it's not really good, not because it's not really important, but because we've heard about the cross so much. But do you know, I think we can spend eternity delving into the truths about the cross of Christ and never uncover everything for what Christ has done for us through his cross. So this morning we're going to look at Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 1, just a little bit, but really on what is the power of the cross? Last week we looked at um, the truth that the cross, um, I'm sorry, that's not the passage I want, but don't, it's no big deal. We'll get to it. Um, we looked at the promise of the cross, that the cross was something that had been foretold. We looked at the passage from Isaiah, 700 years before Christ ever came, that this promise that God was gonna, had given to mankind about the cross and what it was going to be accomplished. But really, when Jesus is on the cross, his, his final words are, it is finished. It is finished. What, what was finished on the cross? Now, so for some of us, we think, well, what Jesus is saying when he, he says, it is finished, is the truth that he's about to die. Oh, my life is over. It's finished. But there's so much more, if you think about it, in those few little words, it is finished. Because before the world was even created, the cross had been planned. When God sealed off the Garden of Eden and put Adam and Eve outside, the cross was promised. When the nation of Israel smeared blood over the doorpost so that on the final plague, the, the angel of death would go over their house, would pass over their home because of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the cross had been promised. When David was anointed king and told that his reign would never end, the cross was being promised. When Isaiah prophesies about a lamb being slain, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. A cross was being promised. So when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished, he's talking about the promise that had been made was now being fulfilled. His finished work on the cross. And when he says, it is finished, he doesn't mean just that the promise that had been given is fulfilled. He's saying it is finished in the sense of there is no other way to have your sins forgiven other than what's being done right here. It is the finished work of Christ on the cross. If the cross has the power to fulfill all the promises of God, and that all the sins of mankind before the cross were laid on Christ, all the sins of the people who were watching him die were laid on him, and all the sins of future humanity were being laid on him, 
What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful, the crux of human history, so to speak, the crossroads lies at the cross. Jesus came and died and was resurrected so that we could become the righteousness of God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The power of the cross is for more than just forgiveness. We're going to look at that this morning. What lies in the power of the cross? Paul, you read it earlier from Romans 1 where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. To who? To everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the good news, we're going to look at that word in just a minute, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that's by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There's power in the gospel. Why? Because it's the salvation to whom? Everyone who believes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, again, we read it this morning, that he, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, we get a little confused on those words. People are finding pride in who baptized them in the church in Corinth. So Paul's making it clear, look, this is not an issue of who baptized who. This is about, I want you to let you know what is the important thing about this whole deal, and it's that the gospel, the good news. And the gospel, the good news, he goes on and says, is not with words of human wisdom, because if it were, then the cross of Christ would be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I'm going to try and explain something that Paul says is unexplainable. I mean, he says, it's just the words, human wisdom can't explain what goes on. Well, now, I, I'm not the only one. Paul, by the way, spends a lot of time trying to explain what he says is unexplainable. We try to put words to this truth, but there is a point at which this truth can't be uh, understood, it has to be received. It has to be received at a level of faith. No matter how far we go with our human words, they're going to be short-sighted in the majesty and power of the cross of Christ. So, there's power in the cross. Power for what? We're going to keep digging into this today and over the next couple of weeks leading up to uh, Easter, and then for one Sunday after that. So let's look at the power of the cross today. What is it powerful for? Well, first, the cross is the power for redemption. The power for redemption. Romans 3, 23 and following says this, For all have sinned. Who, who has sinned? You know, I started to have you just look to the person to your left or right and tell them they were a sinner uh, because we've all sinned. Everyone in this room, I don't care how good you think they are, they are, they are, well, you don't have to do it. You don't have to call the person next to you a sinner. Don't, don't get carried away. Um, <laughs> but we all have. 
We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption, and that's the key word there, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now, let me try and quickly explain this. This passage is rich beyond belief. There, there is what's called here, there's these, this trilogy of pictures of what Christ has done for us on the cross, all pictured here in this one little passage out of the book of Romans. So forgive me if I just teach just for one second. There, there is this idea that he is a sacrifice of atonement. Sacrifice of atonement. Uh, atonement means that our sins were... They've got to be taken care of. How does a just God justify the wicked, make the wicked people okay? Well, he atones. He's atoned for that. So Christ came and on the cross paid the price or the penalty for our sins. And the picture he gives here is the idea of the mercy seat. And these are the words that are used here that are similar the Ark of the Covenant, where they put the Ten Commandments, Indiana Jones finds hundreds of years later, but the Ark of the Covenant, on the top of the Ark was what was known as the mercy seat. There are these two cherubim on either side, and in between, when the priest would sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on the Day of Atonement, the sins of the people were taken care of. They were overlooked so that they could go on and make sacrifices and things could uh, operate. God could look on his people and have a relationship with them, so to speak, because their sins were taken care of for that time being. But what Paul is saying is every time the priest sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, every time the, the atonement was taken care of, the day of atonement for the people, he was just putting it off putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until Jesus Christ comes and on the cross dies so that all the sins, he says, beforehand, which had gone unpunished, now were truly taken care of. Jesus Christ becomes the mercy seat. He becomes the, the ark, the covenant. It's all a picture of him. And then he goes on and says that he did this to de demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God is not only just, meaning that he has to see things taken care of, the sins have to be removed of the people. So the word that's used here in this passage uh, in some translations is the word propitiation or expiation. Uh, I don't know I came to church to hear those words uh, today, but just to let you know, those means that, that means that the sins that we had are removed from us. They're taken from us. Uh, this is good news. See, there, there, there's the aspect of atonement, right? 
oh, my sins have been paid for. But it even goes bigger than that in that our sins are removed from us. See, I don't think you're getting it yet. This is where the gospel is such unbelievable news. You're saying, well, okay, I understand that my sins were paid for. God doesn't see my sins. No, God is taking them from you. You don't, you don't have to. You are no longer, you're no longer a sinner who occasionally does good things. You are the righteousness of God who occasionally sins. Because God has taken that from you. And you're like, wait a minute, I know that's not true. Listen, people, this is where faith has got to kick in. It, I, I know me, and you know you. And some of you know me. And you would not look at me and say, oh, yeah, he's, he's a righteous dude. It, no, I am not. I, in and of myself, I am not. But it is who God says I am. And he has taken it from me. So when the devil jumps on your doorstep and says, hey, you are blah, blah, blah. Don't receive it. Not only that, but are you excited yet? <clears throat> He's redeemed you. He, he has bought you back with this price. So you've got the, the idea of atonement, your sins being paid for, your sins being removed. And even better, you've been redeemed. You've been brought in to a family. You've been purchased out of slavery into something, something more. This is why the gospel is good news, great news. You know, the whole idea of good news is um, it, it comes from the Greek words, and I'm not a Greek expert, but it comes from the Greek words that speak of a herald. You know, in the old days, they, could, they, didn't, they didn't have the internets where you could just go out and read uh, everything that happened in the world yesterday. They didn't have the newspaper. I still love to read the newspaper. I love to pick up that paper and read it. It's just, I, I'm old, I know, but I like it. They didn't even have that. Something good happened. Some dude would run into town and say, hey, hey, or whatever it is in Greek, and uh, announce the good news. Announce the good news. He was a herald. It's the same Greek word that messenger um, that angel comes from. An angel is a messenger or herald of God, proclaiming the news of God. And he's saying, this is the proclamation of the good news. The cross has redeemed you. I may have to wait till next week to even get to the second point on this sermon, because this isn't so good. But um, hey, thanks, Mitch. Keep it up, buddy. Keep encouraging me. <laughs> Inherent in the word good news is that this has already happened. News happened, right? When I read the paper, or no matter how fast I get the news, it's occurred already. It's not, it's not, if I'm going to, if I'm going to say to Emily, Emily, tomorrow I think you should do this. Well, what am I doing? I'm, tell, I'm giving Emily advice. See, here's the deal. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. 
This is what Jesus Christ did for you. It's been accomplished. The finished work of cross, the cross has been accomplished for you and for me. It's God justifying the wicked, who we are. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 22 through 24, kind of delving back into this righteousness from God, comes through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. If we receive, if we walk in faith, we receive this good news. <clears throat> There's this famous, it's really an etching by Rembrandt uh, that he did sometime in the mid-1650s, and it's entitled The Three Crosses. And an etching, as I understand it, was for the 1650s, it, it, it's a little awkward for us to see. It's not a painting. It's literally etched into a metal thing. And it's like printed on it. It's like an early kind of engraving on which a painting or a picture, could ink could be spread and you could... So he, he started in the 1650s, and there are like four or five versions of this same etching because he kept going back to it and doing it over and over and over again. And what happens is, I, I don't have the five different ones. I've just got one of the earlier ones. But you're, you're, it's called the three crosses, and your eyes are drawn immediately to the cross of Christ in the center. And then there's the thief on... Um, the left and the thief on the right. And if you look, the thief on the left is a little more in darkness than the thief on the right. Because the thief on the right, if you are right, uh, remember, receives. One receives, one doesn't. So Rembrandt, as he goes and does this, revises it in the future. It gets darker and darker so that the, the light stays on Jesus, a little on the one thief, and the other thief gets darker and darker talking about the reception by faith. What, what is this thief ever going to do that's going to earn him a right to go to heaven? The dude's about to die. I mean, he's got nothing that he's going to ever be able to do or ever did do that does, gives him the right to go to heaven. But Rembrandt is going to picture that through the cross of Christ, this guy can receive the light. This guy rejects, and so he walks in darkness. Fascinating enough, too, on the far left, and you can't see it in this, there's a whole host of characters over on the left, of which Rembrandt is one. He puts himself in this picture, in the darkness, in the shadows, rather than the light, to talk about his sins put Jesus on the cross. Now, he does this a little more dramatically in this painting, which is called The Raising of the Cross. It's from a little bit earlier, and he puts himself prominently. He is the face at the foot of the cross. He, it's a self-portrait of himself at the foot of the cross of Christ, saying, I, I not only nailed him there, I put him there. I helped raise the cross. Why? Because he recognizes that it was by his sins that Christ was nailed to the cross. 
Peter says this, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, the truth about redemption, the truth about forgiveness, is that we have to receive it for ourselves. Peter is saying it can't be passed down from generation to generation. Uh, please, if you're under the age of 30, listen to me carefully. If you are raised in a Christian home, raised in a godly family, and think that by virtue of being raised in a godly family, going to church all of your life, and being here at church on Sunday morning, that you are in some way redeemed, I want to help you to say that my faith cannot be passed down to my son. As much as I would like to just grab them and then just by some magical deal lay hands on them so that faith in Jesus could be passed down, it can't be. We each and every one have to receive faith in Jesus for ourselves. Redemption comes through faith and not somebody else's faith, through the faith that Christ imparts to you so that you can walk in it. We'll talk about faith at another time, but do you know... Your faith is really not your faith. It's a gift of God. Why? Because if it were my faith, I'm going to end up boasting in it anyway. It's all by the grace of God that it comes. Well, how do I receive a faith that's not my faith so that I can be redeemed? It is a gift of God in which I open myself up to him and say, Jesus, do all that you can do in me. It's a laying down of my pride, a laying down of me so that he can work within me. Second-hand religion is useless. Second-hand religion is empty. Second-hand religion is powerless. Power of redemption. This is the first point. It just causes us to want to stand up and shout and say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have redeemed me. You bought me out. But there are other good things that the cross is powerful for it is powerful for transformation it's not just that i've been redeemed i've been bought out so to speak but i've been transformed christ's love this is from second corinthians for christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again it's a little confusing language there. Who did what, where, when. What he's trying to say is this. We're not going to regard each other. We've been bought out. And, and we died because he died. We've all died. But now, as a result, we don't regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded even Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, here's the passage I want you to see, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? Old is gone, new has come. You've been transformed. You are a new creation. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. transformation in our lives. 
you know, let's, let's pretend for a second that you're in prison. And you've been in prison for quite a while. And you're guilty. Let's say you're guilty as sin. Get it? Uh, your sin has made you guilty. You're guilty. You're in prison. And this word comes down from the governor that you have been... Uh, Dottie, thanks for laughing at my stuff. Keep it up. Uh, to say that uh, uh, word comes down from a, uh, the governor that you have been pardoned. And you receive your pardon. You walk out of prison and you're free. But what do you really have? I mean, you're no longer in prison, but you don't really have anything. I mean, it's not the same like the governor came and said, you got a pardon, now I'm going to give you a job, I'm going to set you up in a house, I'm going to give you a car to drive, I'm going to, you know, we think, oh, praise God, I'm out of prison. No, you're so much more than out of prison. You have received a transformational life. You are more than what you think you are. It's taking away, it's more than just taking away a negative. It is imparting to you a positive. There's this uh, TV series, been, it's long running. It was one of my mom's favorites. She loved NCIS. She would record NCIS and watch NCIS. She just loved NCIS. She loved that Gibbs on NCIS and she would watch the show and before she passed away and she would, you know, we'd sit down and watch it together whenever I'd go see it. There's this old episode of NCIS where this old guy, played by Charles Durning, who was a great actor, uh, old guy is accused of murder. But this old guy who's been accused of murder in his 80s, he's kind of, he's kind of losing a little bit of his faculty, so he doesn't even know if he did this or not. He thinks he did. But he is from World War II, a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. And so he, he always wears his medal. Kind of, it's kind of quirky, but he wears his medal just as a remembrance of who he was. Watch what happens in this clip from that series. Where's Gibbs? And a good afternoon to you too, Commander Coleman. He was to deliver Corporal Yost to me. What's in the account for us, sir? Zero, 0800. You're Ernest Yost? Yes, ma'am. This is Lieutenant Commander Coleman, Ernie. JAG Corps. She's here to uh, arrest you. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this, Commander. What's with the Olsen twins? They're here to escort the accused to Quantico. Oh, it's about time. We'll deliver him. You've had two days to do that. Right on time, Commander. I'm on time? I know you want to watch the whole episode. You don't get a chance. Go get it on YouTube if you want. I, I just think it's, to me, it's incredible how these soldiers go from we're going to arrest this dude to snapping to attention. Why? Because he's more than he appears. There's more to his life and the duty that he's given. And the, You see, Christ didn't just, it's like he put on you, not for anything you did, but all because of what he did, this spiritual medal of honor if it were, as it were. It's not something you deserved. You didn't do any act of hero, hero, heroic act, sorry, to, for this to occur. He did it for you, 
you receive what he did, and now he says this is who you are. It's unbelievable what God has done for us. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Again, this is where it goes into. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I know I'm hammering a couple of these points really hard this morning, but one of the things I see in counseling, even in this congregation and people who are here, is that they have more faith in their shortcomings and their failures and their sins many times than they do in what God has declared them to be. I don't know if I need to say that again, but the voices in your head that keep telling you that you are some particular sin, whatever it may be, I don't want to start listing them because somebody may say, oh, you know, you may be talking about it's whatever. That's not who you are. That is not who you are. You are who God has said you are. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I understand that your behavior at times is not reflective of who you are. That doesn't mean you're not who you are. That's a little confusing for me to say, but if you can start believing who God says you are, you'll be more apt to act like who he says you are. The more you confess that you aren't that, that you're this other thing, the more you're going to lean into that. God has transformed you. There's this famous story of Augustine, and Augustine, what, 5th, 6th century A.D.? I can't remember the dates. But Augustine um, was, a, a, he was a, he liked to drink, and he liked to sleep around before he came to know Christ. And so he was, uh, he was living large in uh, his day and age. His mother prayed for him. He comes to know Jesus, and he's back. He is wandering back through uh, a section of town that he used to be a part of. And a woman steps out who he used to sleep with, who he used to be with, and she starts, she starts yelling at him, Augustine, Augustine, it is I, it is I. And, she, you know, in that language, it's me. Hey, Augustine, you know me, Augustine. And he turns and he runs out of this section of town. And as he does, he yells back, but it is not I, it is not I, it is not I. He's trying to make it clear that's who I was, that's not who I am. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Final point is this. The cross is the power for not only redemption, taking care of your sins, power for transformation, making you something more than you think you are, so you're the righteousness of God. Now it's also the power for destination. We have a destiny in him as a result of what he's done. And we talk about this a lot around here, that you are 
You've been created for a purpose and redeemed for a purpose. Romans 6 says this, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. <clears throat> there is a promise of resurrection life given to us. We're going to talk. We're headed toward Easter. We're, we're going to talk more about resurrection life that comes through the cross of Christ. Without the cross, there's no resurrection. But because of the cross, sins being forgiven, transformation, we have the promise of resurrection life, a destination. And the destination is not just when we die, though the, he's speaking of that. I believe that destination is for us now. I, I know this is a thought that at times it's hard to get us a hold of. Job says this. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. After my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. Job, there's this double meaning here where he's saying, I know in the end there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. There's going to be a promise of heaven and the afterlife and all of that. But there's this other meaning that says, I know I can see God. Resurrection life allows you to be a part of the family of God now so that your destination is not just where you're going, but where you are in him and all along the way as you go there. Did, did I say that in a way that can be... In other words, it's not just about, God didn't just save you so that you'll go to heaven rather than hell. That's pretty good news in and of itself, right? I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Anybody? Anybody with me? <laughs> I'd rather go to hell. But the promise of God is that the destination that he has for you is what you're doing now all along the way. As you live out your life of purpose and destiny with him. So, we have, like here in this row, we have a whole bunch of UAB students, I think. UAB? I, if, if I go on UAB's campus and start trying to talk to students and get in their lives, I start hanging around the dorm, I'm going to get arrested eventually. I mean, really, it's gonna, it's gonna, something's, something's gonna happen. The creepy factor just went way up, right? In other words, I, I, I can't go into the sphere, the place that they are, and proclaim the transformational power of Christ where they are. God has not given me that sphere. But they, they're gonna leave here, and they're gonna go to their dorms or to the cafeterias or restaurants or class, they're going to have an opportunity. Their destiny is different than mine. Their sphere of influence, their area that, that they are uh, involved in is different than mine. See, that's what I'm trying to say. The power of the cross is, is, is great news because your sins are forgiven. Unbelievable news because you have been transformed. But it's also a call of destiny in your life to say, 
Live out the cross daily where you are because that's who you are in him. That's the promise that he's given you. I, I don't want you to, to get into a works mentality, but I, I want you to think differently about who you are than what many of us think. And, and, and I don't... I, I want to do it in a way that says it's the power of the cross that's at work within you. The only illustration I could think of about this was when I got married. And, and I don't want to equate the cross to marriage. Please hear me, uh, for those of you who get the point right there. Um, it, it's more like who I was before and who I was after. I got married when I was 29. Um, and so I had lived a life of singlehood for my 20s. Uh, I didn't date a lot. I know it's hard to believe, but I, I didn't date a lot. And um, I, I like to play golf. I like to go to movies. I like to read books. I like to do what I like to do. Hello? It was a wonderful experience. <laughs> but when God opened the door for me to meet Kathy and for us to get married... On that day, my whole perspective of who I was changed. In other words, before marriage, if I wanted to go golf, I wouldn't golf. I didn't have to check with anybody except me. Bart, you want to go golf? Heck yeah, let's go. <laughs> Out we go. After I got married, it didn't work the same, right? I mean, there was one time I tried to make it work the same, and it didn't work well for me. Let's just, let's just, I mean, I had to think differently because it was no longer just me. My destiny in him, you know, I try to pull that card out still. It still doesn't work well because I am different. I, I have yoked myself with someone. Through the cross, Christ has yoked me with him. And as a result, my destiny is no longer just whatever the heck I want to do. It's, it's a path, a journey with him every step of the way. And, and he's given me all these tools that are going to help me. The power and presence of the Spirit, the mind of Christ, the gifts of the Spirit. All of these things are available to me to walk in to achieve the destiny for which he's created. You've got a bunch of choices facing you right now. You know, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have, the you have the choice. Do I want to receive the redemption of sins, the forgiveness of sins, or do I want to reject and go my own way? Do I want to be trans? Do I receive the transformation that is mine? Or do I degenerate? You know, the two choices are transformation or degeneration. A right. whole nother sermon. When God turns us over, it is a degenerate progression. Transformation is who he says we are, moving toward him. Degeneration is moving more toward the fruit of our own sin, our own humanity. And we have the choice for our ultimate destination every single day. 
And that destination is either fellowship with him or separation from him. Lead me to the cross. For those of followers of Jesus Christ, every day make the choice. Lead me to the cross. Today, open up possibilities of incredible wealth in me through the cross. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for what you've done through the cross. Lord, I, I pray that you take the inadequacy of my ability to communicate and Spirit of God, you just uncover for people truth that has been shared this morning. I pray that it just it, it, it is powerful for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray for myself. I want to be so much more in you than I can possibly be in and of myself. May the power of the cross continually transform me so that my destiny in you will be fulfilled. Destiny both now and forever. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I pray that right now, that as we come to a time of ministry, that God, we will pray for one another and people will uh, be set free. People will come to know Jesus Christ as the one who rules their life and forgives their sins. The redemption of Christ will be unleashed in their life. Lord, for those who need transformational power release, Lord, let it be so right now. Lord, those who are deciding and determining to walk in their destiny, maybe they need wisdom, maybe they need help, Spirit of God, move among them today. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. We praise you. Spirit of God, do right now what only you can do. Everyone stand up with me if you would. I'm going to need, um, we have a lot of ministry teams that are out of town.